0: Pastor Ed Taylor makes this observation as we begin today's Abounding Grace.
1: We certainly are living in a time of instability, of uncertainty, which just reminds me that we're all in a very vulnerable place. And we need to truly have our guards up in walking with the Lord. Because this vulnerability, this instability, makes us vulnerable to being enticed. And remember, we have a threefold enemy, don't we? We are battles against the world system, the flesh, and the devil. And while the devil wants to see you destroyed, most people that have been destroyed over the years have not been destroyed by the devil at all, but by enticing their own flesh or indulging in their own flesh from the enticements of the world.
0: This is a messing for me. If you've ever been deceived, you know it's a very disheartening experience. It may have cost you a certain amount of money. In some cases, the end results are not so costly. But when it comes to the area of salvation and eternal life, we can't afford to be deceived. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor shows us why we need to be on guard, especially when we're in a vulnerable state, like in the middle of great difficulty. Let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and see what it has to say to us.
1: Take your Bibles open into 2 Peter chapter 2 in verse 12 in a Bible study that I've entitled very creatively, Watch Out for False Teachers, part 2. And we're going to pack together what we learned last time. And remember, we're, we're picking up where Peter is writing to, to warn the hassled believers of the hungry wolves that love to come against and from within the church. And he's really writing to strengthen and encourage healthy sheep. And that's what good, sound, biblical truth will do. It'll strengthen you. It'll uphold you. There's a Bible word. It'll edify you. But that word literally means to build you up. It it will shore up your faith. It will build your faith. And let me remind you in Ephesians chapter 4, you can jot it down in verse 11. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, gave some... To be apostles and prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember, wherever there are healthy sheep, there are always going to be hungry wolves nearby. Because Satan is not happy with Christian progress. He's not happy with the type of decisions that you and I make toward the Lord. He's not happy with spiritual growth. I mean, you might have even experienced this with some people that that maybe relatives or friends that aren't happy with spiritual growth. They're not happy with the new direction of your life. They're not happy with the new decisions. They're not happy you're not hanging with them anymore or that your life has become a, a conviction to their own sinful behaviors. Well, you multiply that, you know, by hundreds and thousands. And in the spiritual realm, the devil wanting to destroy you is certainly not happy with any progress that you make, but especially the large amounts of progress that you're making. I mean, when you take to heart the things that we learned back in chapter 1, remember, turn back to chapter 1 of Second Peter, where he says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. He said, when you begin to do this, notice what happens. If these things are yours, verse 8, and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul would say that anyone who desires to live godly will suffer persecution. So the desire to live godly and then the practice to live godly is going to bring a lot of opposition. When you take these things to heart, when you start adding to your faith, opposition will come. Sometimes our enemy uses discouragement. Other times he uses distractions, but ultimately he's trying to wipe us out and take us down. And so church, be careful not to be easily sidetracked. The word sidetracked literally means to be diverted or distracted from an immediate or an important issue. And I find no more important issue in our lives but to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It's important to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus first. Looking unto him, as we learned in Hebrews, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Turn over. Hold your places here in Peter. We'll get to it in a moment. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's important, church, to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus first. And notice how Paul gives this order. Look at the order of things that he shares. This is, a, this is really developing what Jesus taught. Paul then says in verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And here's the admonition. Watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. There are these guards that we want to put up knowing that difficulties will come. Guards against spiritual weakness. Guards against wandering away. Guards against weariness. You know, it's interesting how quickly we become spiritually weak. How easy it is to simply get tired. A little time away from the Word, a little neglect of prayer, a lot of spiritual battles and warfare, and before you know it, we're no, longer, we're no longer walking in the strength of the Lord. And then from weakness, what comes next? Wandering. I mean, you know how vulnerable you are when you're tired and when you're weak? How easy it is to be influenced? It can be so easy to stray away from the basics, To to leave the basics for something that seems to be more important, or more enticing, or or more entertaining. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Not only from weakness to wandering, but now weariness. And I think that that's something that's been shared by a lot of us in this last season of life, weariness. There is that tendency in life and in Christian work and battling against the flesh that we get so busy serving and doing that we end up leaving our first love behind. And it just gets so wearying. Even though the Bible says, let let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we don't lose heart. But we do find ourselves getting weary and tired. And it's possible to find ourselves in very vulnerable places. Which brings us to back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Would you pick up with me in verse 12 where we left off last time? Speaking of these false teachers that had infiltrated the believers in one of their worst seasons, one of their most difficult seasons of life, he describes them in verse 12, but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak of evil of things they do not understand. They speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And they'll receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes filled with adultery, And that cannot cease from sin, beguiling, notice, unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Now, I went through today and reviewed the text and reviewed my notes again as I put these together weeks ahead of time, you know. And so I was looking again at the text, and I found no less than 12 descriptions in this little section, no less than 12 descriptions of these false teachers. The first one you notice was, speak evil of things they don't understand. Even though they false teachers will want to give to you this great confidence and they just understand. And and that's one of the things that they lean upon to influence you. But the reality is they're speaking of things they don't understand. And speaking evil of the truths they don't understand. Not only that, notice they'll also utterly perish in their own corruption. So words like corruption, evil, they're going to receive the wages they're going to receive wages of their own unrighteousness. And then notice they use that phrase carousing in their own deceptions. But notice beforehand in verse 13 that they were carousing in the daytime. Now, you, you know that there, there is carousing is another word for partying or hanging out. Usually people carouse in the evening under the cover of darkness. But he describes them as, man, they have no shame. They're willing to spend their whole lives, even in the light, they don't care. They're so confident in their own false teaching, they're so, un- they're so confident that they're not even going in, in the cover of darkness. It, it says in verse 13 that they're spots and their blemishes, and as we'll get into this, we'll get into this in the text in a moment in the study, but they're spots and blemishes, and now they're also reveling or carousing in their own deceptions, all the while They're feasting with you, sitting at the table with you, which speaks of the deep betrayal that comes when you find out the truth about them, where you gave them so much trust because all this stuff takes time and it builds trust so that through your trust, they can take advantage. So the Holy Spirit has strong and stern words for false teachers, for these that would come in and have no desire but to destroy the work of God in the people of God. Very stern. But this is what God thinks about those who would lead his people into false teaching. Now, remember this. Right living, a life that's lived rightly, comes from right thinking. What you believe will dictate how you behave. And right thinking is always based on right teaching. Sound doctrine. But false teaching always leads to false living because it skews with giving you wrong thoughts about the character and nature of God. And as you read through verses 12 through 14 again, it's sad. This is so opposite of the life that's promised in Jesus. Not not only do they want to take you away from it, but, but this is the life they're living. It's like they have everything available to them in Christ. They've been exposed to the knowledge of Christ. They've even experienced the love of Christ, but instead still, for their own selfish reasons, have chosen to take advantage of people and live in self-imposed dishonesty. They're described as brute beasts or untrained animals, living life wild and recklessly. And they have really no idea Of which they're talking. Notice again in verse 13. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness. They will receive them. Just like those that party in the daytime. This is what they're doing. They're going to receive the wages of unrighteousness. In the Phillips translation. He translates it this way. Their wickedness has earned them an evil end. And they will be paid in full. Again in verse 13. Their spots and blemishes. Remember when an offering was to be offered to the Lord, it was to be offered without spot nor blemish. Jesus himself, the spotless lamb, offered once and for all for the forgiveness of your sins and mine as the sacrifice. But these are spots. They're blemishes. They're exactly the opposite of what you would expect. Notice verse 14. Their eyes are full of adultery. And that cannot cease... From sin. Eyes filled with adultery. This is not only spiritual adultery, but also physical. Sexually. They're hyped up sexually in their lives. Taking advantage. Perhaps even drawing you ladies. Or perhaps even drawing you young men into a relationship sexually that is absolutely against the heart of God for your life. Because that's all they're thinking. To take advantage Not only that, notice it says in verse 14, they beguile or entice unstable souls. And I was thinking, we certainly are living in a time of instability, of uncertainty, which just reminds me that we're all in a very vulnerable place. And we need to truly have our guards up in walking with the Lord. Because this vulnerability, this instability makes us vulnerable to being enticed, and remember, we have a threefold enemy, don't we? we? Our battle is against the world system, the flesh, and the devil. And while the devil wants to see you destroyed, most people that have been destroyed over the years have not been destroyed by the devil at all, but by enticing their own flesh, or indulging in their own flesh from the enticements of the world. And taking upon, the, thinking, you know what, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, and maybe getting away with it once or twice. And thinking, well, you know, if I haven't been judged right now and I haven't been caught, then, I, then I'm okay. But I always want you to remember, I, I don't want you to ever forget this. Whenever you start thinking this, well, you know, I haven't been caught. And, you know, I got away with it. And, you know, here I am. I always want you to add the word yet. I want you to remember. You go, well, you know, I haven't been caught yet. It hasn't been revealed yet. It hasn't been exposed yet. Because God will not be mocked. For what a man soweth, that he will reap. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And God won't be mocked. And so in that instability, that necessity of abiding in Christ more and placing more emphasis on resting and abiding in Christ is so important. Because this phrase, beguiling, in in my transit says, beguiling unstable souls. Just think of this. You can circle that phrase if you like, and just right next to it, every single cult and false teacher, this is their operation. This is exactly how they operate. They smell out and are trained to see instability, and they take full advantage of it. Or, or, Or if a person isn't unstable, they will lead you down a series of questions and comments and observations to make you unstable, to cause you to doubt what you believe, to cause you to doubt the fellowship family you're a part of, to cause you to doubt the word of God, to cause you to doubt what you believe and what you've been taught and what the Bible clearly says with these crafty words. And they entice you. And notice, here's the conclusion in verse fifteen, after calling them accursed children, they say. Then he says in verse fifteen, they have forsaken the right way, and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. Verse seventeen. These are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. So now he describes him to the Old Testament prophet Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for prophets, P R O F I T. He was using his position as a man of God for his own selfish prophets. You'll recall in Numbers, you can read it later for homework, in Numbers chapter 22, Balak the king had heard about Balaam and asked him to come and curse the people of Israel for him. And and Balaam was stopped in his tracks by an angel sent by God. His donkey tries to warn him, but they end up arguing. You know, this is the guy that argues with his own donkey. Finally, he sees the angel and he stops. But although he stops physically, his evil ways don't. And rather than cursing the people as requested, he teaches Balak how to, throw a, how to destroy the people by throwing a pagan party to what? Entice the men of Israel into sexual sin. Balaam's ways were wicked and evil and destructive at their core. And Peter says the same greed that motivated Balaam to destroy people's lives it's the same motivation upon these false teachers wanting to take advantage of believers in their most vulnerable time of persecution and difficulty. He says in verse 17, there are wells without water. You know, when I think of wells without water, when, when I think of uh, where it says, again, clouds carried by a tempest, the gloom of darkness reserved forever. I, I think of a wells without water, Disappointment. I think of a mirage, you know, you're thirsty in the desert and you kind of see water in or a capped up well and you go finally, 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 and you're you're just, your mouth is watering, it's just waiting and anticipating and you open it up and it's empty. It wasn't what was promised. They have great swelling words of emptiness, verse 18. Great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones that have actually escaped from those who live in error. And I was reading again afresh today, right before I came uh, into the sanctuary. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness. I, I think this one verse describes the whole empty prosperity gospel, which neither is prosperous or the gospel. But they allure through the flesh. They take advantage of this sense in us of wanting more. Uh, they they tap into that part of us that are greedy, and, and just kind of thinking it's almost like the pros- those that teach in that realm they take advantage of the same um, feeling why people buy lottery tickets, or they're just like man I, I can I can give and the promise to get much back, and the only ones that are profitable are the ones that are taking the money. I mean, because if the if, if you think about if you think about in it's almost just very simplistic way of the false teaching of the prosperity teachers. If you just think of it in its most simplistic way, the thought process is this. Somehow they have a special anointing. Somehow they have a special line to God. Somehow through the prosperity you see them, the cars they drive, the clothes they wear, the things they say, because of that, they say this. You can tap into our prosperity this way. You can actually share in our prosperity this way. You can become like us this way. Send us your money. And as you send us your money, all of a sudden something supernatural will happen and a million-fold increase will come your way. And really what, what they need to be saying is, send us your money as we steal from you. We will become more prosperous while you become poor And we'll continue to lie to you until you stop sending us money. That's really the essence of their ministry. And it really ticks me off because I'm on a variety of different levels. And you can see, you can read chapter two, and you're like, man, I think Peter's ticked off. I think he is. I think the Holy Spirit is using a righteous anger to go, you know, you guys are vulnerable, you're on the run, keep your eyes on the Lord, add to your faith, continue to love one another and watch out because you are in such a dangerous place of people that want to rip you off and they're going to take advantage of your flesh. I think in our day and age, there are people that want to take advantage of your fears and your anxieties and the difficulty of the world in which you live, drawing you to themselves. This
0: is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. It's part of a study in 2 Peter. Catch a replay when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. If you haven't already downloaded the free app, simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We also have a podcast. Here in the month of February, we've picked out an excellent book written by Catherine McDougal titled Ebenezer Stones you'll see how just an ordinary stone can remind you of our extraordinary God. As you read Ebenezer Stones, you'll be taken on a journey through the many ways that God is faithful in our lives, from bringing us into a relationship with Him to changing us from the inside out, providing for and guiding us and protecting us too. Read all about it in Ebenezer Stones. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Request your book today by calling us toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also make your request at calvaryco.store on the web. Again, that's calvaryco.store. If you'd rather not have the book but still want to make a donation, that can be done rather easily at aboundinggraceradio.com. Don't miss our next study in 2 Peter. It's going to be a good one. That's tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace.